Philosophers. Philosophers. Hmm. So, David. So, Joe. Um, what are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about citizenship at birth, or more briefly, birthright citizenship. Interesting. So, what's your bone to pick with birthright citizenship? I don't necessarily have a bone to pick with birthright citizenship, which is why we should talk about it, because I think that you do. I kind of do, and I think a lot of it might stem from my philosophy on children, so this is going to get meddy really fast. Yes. So, um, I guess I'll start with my bone to pick on birthright citizenship. Um, To meme it, it would be, I didn't sign no social contract. You know, that's the meme, anyway. Um, My problem is... It's not so much, it's with what citizenship entails. Um, I don't have a problem with saying that someone is guaranteed, necessarily, I have, okay, I have less of a problem with someone saying you're guaranteed rights from the moment you're born. Okay, that I can deal with. The reason I pick at the term citizen directly is that implies a social responsibility and the social contract that follows does it well in most places it's used it's not just implied it's explicit you know okay sure um granted you know it's not like it just applies to citizens for example uh one one okay the most obvious and biggest thing for me selective service in the united states that's Mm. what got me thinking about why it's ridiculous the fact that when I turned 18 years, actually before I turned 18 years old, I had to sign up. I was forced, not literally, so to I speak. Did, so to speak, I would have been forced necessarily, um, to input my personal information into this into this database. That if the United States government were to decide it needed soldiers, it could at it could legally mandate me to go join a military, um, and if I resisted forcibly put me in jail or and if i resisted that kill me you know that that's that was my problem and that is unique to citizens and it's because you're a citizen it's your the the implicit responsibility is to your country that is the oftentimes the claim made um to justify giving citizens the right to vote is well we give you the right to vote but you also now have to be responsible not just with the way you vote but that also applies in other areas like you need to be responsible for the well-being of this country it ties the fate of the country to you a lot more closely so my problem however uniquely with it being birthright is that it's assigned to you in a time in which i don't believe you can own property and you cannot be held responsible for anything else and it essentially is applied to you when you're born, and it ticks up until the day you become an adult. And then, because it applied to you before you were an adult, and you know when you were legally recognized as the able to make contracts, justifications come out that I think are hard to argue with at the time, but are faulty because you don't owe anyone anything at that point, necessarily. Okay. Um, let's... Let's say, hypothetically, that children aren't a part of this, but by being born into a particular society, when you become a legal person, 
you are now automatically entitled to citizenship. Does this change? Um, no. Uh, well, yes and no. Um, if you're entitled to it, but you can choose to not accept. If it's a choice when you're able to accept contracts, in that case, I wouldn't have a problem with it, with it for the would-be citizen individual in this case. I have a different problem with it only being allowed to people born in an area, but that's a separate issue because we're not talking about, that's not a person we're talking about right now. So I would have right, a, the issue here is birthright citizenship as a concept, not a society in which the only way to become a citizen is by birthright. Correct. Well, and the, yes, the methods by which you can become a citizen is another thing to me and yes. selectively choosing people just that happen to be born in an area or sometimes just close enough the arbitrary nature of that is mind-blowing to me. That's a separate issue. But if it's a choice, I'm more okay with it. I, I would have to say I, my issues with citizenship still exist, but if I could opt out, then yes, I would take that. But that leads us to another... But then there are further issues down that train. You know, I could go on... These are trees that I could easily just jump from branch to branch if necessary. Um, but I would say just in the instance we're provided, no, I don't have a problem with it. If you are able to choose it when you become an adult, like if you become, if it's given to you as a choice, like congratulations, you are now recognized as able to be a legal adult. And because you meet the following criteria, we would like to extend an offer of citizenship and then you choose whether or not to accept it. That I'm more okay with. And then there are still outlying issues with citizenship in general. I see. Let's let's talk a little bit about citizenship. What we we've, we've spoken in vagaries a little bit about it. What what does it mean to be a citizen? Honestly, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I have an adequate definition. I just have my understanding of how it's applied, at least in the uh, in the context of where I was born and where I am a citizen. Um, so do we, do you have, I guess, what are you trying to get out of it? Like, are we just trying to nail out in general what it means to be a citizen? Or do you want to go to directly to an example that we're both probably much more familiar with? I think that we should probably try to define this in general. Okay. Um, because we can't really speak coherently about it if we are not on the same page. All right. Well, let's see. Let's pull up the old Wiktionary. A or. citizen, a resident. Okay, well, that's not that's not useful. Let's see, yeah. a legally recognized member of a state with associated rights and obligations. Okay, I think that that's is, a good, that that's, is pretty much the the one that we that's mean. That's the one, yeah. But, uh, couple other ones mean things like you just happen to live in an area and i think that's because of the association between the two right but we have better words for that like denizen yes um and then uh it's also used as a well, this is another decent one a private citizen um it's a civilian as opposed to a police officer professional soldier or other usually state group so it's essentially saying it's the base group of citizen people. as opposed to government agent yeah yes and I think that distinction usually is just to denote the difference in responsibility between these. Like the government assigns different responsibilities or it adds additional responsibilities to people that are 
further involved, but the minimum level of, in, I, I would think that that's actually a pretty good way of putting, it, I think people who have the bare minimum level of responsibility to a state are its citizens. Um, because you can go up from there and become more involved. But if you have any responsibility obligation or legally reckon, legally recognized as a member, that's the minimum pool or it's the super group of which everyone, uh, that exists within the state and has any stake in it. Um, okay. So what are you asking now? What's my problem with that? Well, okay. Like what, what are the, what are the implications of this and why, why might it be a problem for, well, let, let, we'll take the easy case again. Um, or the, rather the, uh, the simpler to deal with case philosophically, um, what, what issues arise with this if a person is given a choice whether to become a citizen once they're an adult? What issues arrive with the choice? Well, I think the most obvious issue that arrives, arises is um, being, and I don't mean this is an issue philosophically maybe, but being stateless, which to me might seem optimal but it's one of those things where when you live in a world in which the vast, vast, vast majority of individuals are members of states, and that is the common entity, being an individual would put you on par with the state without any of the other benefits of being a state. Because despite, you know, what, as much as I disagree with a lot of it, uh, you know, forming states and such like that, they do have benefits. They do exist for a reason. They were created to solve a problem, and they do a couple things really well. Even if they do, if even if I think it's immoral, but they collect resor- vast resources. They exert vast control and are handed a monopoly on violence. And I think that's that's probably the biggest problem is that a state demands the monopoly on violence in order to exist a lot of the time or all the time, I would say. Um, but when you become that level, uh, now you have monopolized the right to use violence for yourself. The problem is the state doesn't like, states actively compete with one another for that right. And so now you're competing with these vast institutions for the same right. And oftentimes, uh, th- then there's another problem, and that is oftentimes benefits that, things that aren't, really benefits but things that we all we all would have access to naturally can be also monopolized away from you by a state for example if every country in the world had a zero tolerance policy for non-citizens and say you know every country became isolationist if you became stateless you immediately have nowhere to live you cannot go anywhere you cannot do anything and your access to natural resources like say if even if i wanted to go off in the middle of the woods somewhere and just be a survivalist or in a, a mountain man, I couldn't do that because states also claim land. States also are one of the only entities that have the right. Well, you might be able to do that, but you'll be constantly at odds with the forces that be. Right. I have to compete with the government and I have to, when I have to compete with a state and not just the state, but all of the proponents of the state that knowingly or more likely unknowingly are aware that they're competing against me by contributing to a central group and that's a problem um 
certainly doable. You know, there have been plenty of people who have bucked their states for much less and not gotten rid of them, but have essentially, you know, restored some of their own authority through just opposition, you know. But uh, I think those are the two big problems with opting out of citizenship is that you make yourself homeless, you know, in a, in a large way. Um, you also put yourself at a great disadvantage. You take options off the table from yourself um, that are only good because other institutions hold monopolies that you can't bust as an individual like access to resources and such sure so i think those are the two big problems um okay what what does a world or a rather a society without birthright citizenship look like well, I think one of the biggest things um, that uh, would be different is it, I think it would really hinge a lot on how the, how the society or how the w- would view the non-citizen. If, you were, if non-citizens were allowed to exist within the boundaries of the state and operate with the state and with members of the state unrestricted, it wouldn't look too terribly different from the way it does now. But the biggest ways I think it would be different is that I think a lot of people would opt out. Uh, it would also depend on how non-citizens are treated. I think the most ideal way this can occur, for me, uh, would be that if I opt out of being a citizen, I no longer am obligated to deal with that government in the way of, like, I don't have to pay taxes, but I also don't receive social benefits. You know, I don't give, I also don't receive, and I have no right or say over the decisions that it makes. Fair enough. I'm even, I would even be okay with, to some degree, um, dealing with their laws applying when I deal with their citizens. But as long as me and another non-citizen are dealing, they have no right to intervene. Like, for example, say I were to enter into a legal dispute or I were I was to enter into a dispute with a citizen. The citizen could call upon the resources of their state per their contract, which is their citizenship. And the state can provide that. I don't think that's unfair. It's like, okay, and me choosing to be a private citizen, being a private individual, but have to do it for myself. Or they their that citizen's government could apply a tariff to them for dealing with me. And that's their choice to be a part of that. But if I'm dealing with another free person, I can do whatever I want. We could even choose to duel each other to the death, and they do not intervene. That's probably the most ideal way. Although there are a few things that I think would occur that very quickly would cause that to no longer be the case. Uh, Primarily is uh, welfare programs. For example, anyone who can do simple math could just see, do I benefit from being a member or do I lose out from being a member? All welfare programs exist as a way to redistribute wealth. And so if you lose money and you could just leave, you would just leave. Eventually you get to the point where there's no money coming in for the state to then give this welfare out to their citizens. But then those citizens could change that by participating in their government to make that the case. But that's going to come in the form of forcibly annexing those who would have opted out that will not benefit from that relationship. So, you know, pro con that. Um, 
But I think that's going to be one of the biggest things to deal with in the ideal situation for me, I guess. Uh, I think in the most unideal, it would be uh, if I didn't ha- if I had the choice, you know, I could see governments being like, well, okay, well, then in that case, you get what what we do now, which is non-citizens still have to pay taxes. I think that's what if we if we if they went down the road of non-citizens don't have to pay taxes and they don't benefit, it would quickly move to the current scenario, which is non-citizens still have all of the same burdens, most of the same burdens applied to them by the state, but none of the benefits, and then in that case, you essentially would get, you're pretty much a member of the state in that point because you're paying into, you're paying into it. I mean, it's quasi, I I guess, but uh, you very quickly would develop a system in which you have two classes of people. And by nature of how the state works, you know, being a leech on those who have, you would either see people join back in to reclaim their benefits, you know, because I know plenty of people who will claim any kinds of welfare programs that they're even possible to on principle that I'm just getting my money back. I may not be, I may not feel like I am disabled, but I feel like I deserve my money back. So I'm going to get it any way that I can. And I don't see that as unfair because I don't think it's unfair what they're doing to me. Yeah. I think you see that kind of behavior going on. And, uh, I think that, you would, but you would quickly see two classes of people form and you would essentially get a free, air quotes, underclass of people that have their resources sapped and just handed over to a group of people who allow them to exist so long as they provide resources. And then there comes incentives to keep them there. And it quickly becomes a, you're quickly realize that you're no longer free. You're, it's just a, it's just, it's more terror. It, it's the same amount of tyranny. It's just more blatant at that point you don't you, you, they just take away the illusion of your choice to participate at that point so i think those are the two interpretations i have the worst interpretation is pretty obvious you become a serf directly and at that point why even have the choice you know sure i guess what i was asking is um you know that that, that being the case how what what is your proposed system for becoming a citizen if not through birthright for people born into a society um and how does that how does that not result in the same sort of class struggle that you just described okay um let's see that's that's the problem it i think my deepest problem really is with the state and the role of citizen existing. I think it will always tend towards serfdom. It's and individuals have to actively fight that from happening. So long as the state exists, the state will always move towards serfdom. Uh, in some, you know, adopting that model. And so, I I think the only way that this could be, I mean, I I know of several theories by how you avoid this, and one of them is, uh you they all revolve around placing higher barriers to citizenship so that people who it, the goal is to keep people who would try to move the state towards serfdom from gaining citizenship and essentially forcing them to be free people which even though that's not really what it is but that's how they would see it is you're making me have to take care of myself yes <laughs> you know what i mean um 
you know, I mean, I know I mentioned it a lot, but that's kind of how it goes down in Starship Troopers is, you know, the citizens are people who have to perform service for the state first. Uh, you have to undergo, and that kind of falls along with, I mean, the writer Heinlein was a, vet, was a veteran, so I think a lot of the way he sees it is that veterans are intrinsic or are more virtuous people on average. And so if you can get people with higher virtue, whatever that means, or people that care about freedom and protecting freedom, if you give them the keys to maintaining freedom, they'll keep it. You know, um, I know in Poland, uh, they're talking about essentially taking away citizenship and just returning to a monarchy and hoping that the monarch will keep the freedom. But that's the problem is that there isn't really a good way to do it. How do you know the people you're going to put, putting anyone in charge over other people and then asking them to not abuse it? You exactly. Know, you, you can't make that, you can't make that happen, really, I don't think. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure that it could exist in periods of time, but you're still going to create a system that all it takes is one bad person. Any any institution that has the power to change itself to give itself more ability will abuse it, and that's the problem with states: is that states can you you have to give the state enough power to have an effect to achieve a goal that you want, but it, any power that you give it, it has to have the ability to. And, and you can see this, I think, in American history. You know, uh, the United States of America is the second version. It's probably more than that, but. When you talk about the original Articles of Confederation, you know, the, the federal government had no power and it was ideal. You know, <laughs> They couldn't do anything. They didn't even have any dominion over citizens of the individual states. They only dealt with the, sub, the major groups. But because they couldn't do anything, they were effectively useless. Um, but the moment you give them the power to be useful, which is giving them the ability to monopolize uh, violence, I think, Right now, then, then we result in the last two hundred years of creep power creep power creep. Yeah, you can just give yourself more, and yeah, more because any and more. any any state that is powerful enough to matter at all is also powerful enough to alter itself and gain more power. Right, and I think one of the things that kind of helps this, kind of helps prevent against this, is written law, obviously, um, constitutional law. And by making it very difficult for the government to undergo this process, but it still happens. And it's, it's one of those things where, uh, states operate much like a mathematical function, uh, with positive feedback loops. That's what they are. So the only way you can get it to never grow is to give it a zero input, which means no power or authority. Um, in which case it basically doesn't exist. Right. But as soon as it exists, even if it's at a near infinitely small amount it it will still increase and that curve is usually not linear it's usually exponential and then the longer it exists the more power because the more power it has the more power it can give itself and then it feeds on that over and over and over again and then and eventually spirals out of control you have a revolution that starts over meet the new boss you know let's put a new government in place and that government starts out smaller and then it creeps up again and i think that i think that's a cycle we can observe through history with states you know, I think you see that happen a lot is they'll grow and gain more power, more power. It's easier, I think, in uh, more classical history when you look at empires, you know, they have power because of just the amount of resources that it's, it's basically just a resource game. And so the way you get more resources is to invade more places. And 
the more resources you have, the more invasions you can do. And so, and granted, there's also this burdensome back end of supporting all of this. And you, yeah, yeah. Think, yeah. You, you're, it's like, it's like the, um, oh, what's the, Oh goodness. Uh what what's the what's the name of the the mathematical concept uh you know how like like as as the size of a three-dimensional object increases it's oh, yeah, uh, the volume to mass the volume to surface area yes, uh, ratio. There's a, there's a shorter name that I'm trying to think of but I can't. Anyway, yeah, I don't remember what it is either. Anyway, yes, you basically have that same problem where the rate at which your uh incoming uh resources grow does not match the demands of what all you control and so then this reaches critical mass exactly and there exists an optimal size for this arrangement right um just as a quick sidebar for what he's talking about um if you ever wondered why cells are only as big as they are and i mean like body biological cells you know there's an or even just or even macroscopic chicken things uh or cells well, yeah, chicken eggs are so, but I'm talking about like even like animals or oh, plants. Yeah. Why why are they only as big as they are? Right. When it, you know, e- even like even if uh resource accumulation were not a problem because obviously if an animal is enormous then it needs to eat a lot. But even if that weren't a problem, even if that were no object, it physically can only get so big before it will fall apart under its own weight. Right. Or it has it loses its ability to uh the barrier through which it interacts with its environment, even if every inch of its surface area was dedicated to absorbing resources, it still would not be enough to support the underlying volume. So, interest, very interesting uh, concept that is awesome to understand. But uh, yeah, same thing exists for governments, you know, um, I, I believe. And a lot of people have often talked about uh, why communism would work <laughs> in a small group. Uh, like well communism works but it only works in small pockets that's why the american indians were communists and it worked yeah you know, i've heard that argument made to me before and they're on to something admittedly but this is what they're talking about yes any system is a lot more sustainable with minimal impact a smaller surface area well right yeah another another thing to do with that is also when you're dealing with a really really small group you it's a lot easier to get everyone to buy into it right because that's that's one of the uh, you know that 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 is the the relevant issue with communism is that it's difficult to get everyone on the same page for something like that right but it's but like have fun even getting like 50 people to all cooperate for something like that right and i think that's another reason why citizenship as a concept exists is it takes the what some would argue to be the smallest group of functional human beings, a family unit, because a lot of people talk about how, well, we want to create a government that takes the model of a family and blows it up to millions of people. You know, uh, I've heard it argue that's where like separation of powers as a concept came from in a home. You divvy up the responsibilities and then checks and balances were the same way you know, so on and so forth. And citizenship is essentially a metaphorical way of welcoming you into the family. You know, uh, everyone pulls their weight around here, but we all care about each other, except it's millions of people. Um, But it also grows that arrangement much larger than it would naturally exist. 
and adds the strain that is the problem you know and um so yeah i think that's that's one of the biggest problems with it i think um it's not sustainable uh governments aren't and states aren't and citizenship is just another way by which states fuel themselves um i think citizenship also exists as a means of segregating individuals uh into well obviously it segregates individuals into members of the state in group out group in group out group and those biases are very powerful and that's how you can without citizens you wouldn't have patriots without citizens you wouldn't have nationalists you know so on so forth um right um so we've we've strayed a little bit from the original topic which is birthright citizenship so because we seem to have we seem to have gone down the path of citizenship itself is kind of bad yeah i i mean if you want i think we should talk a lot i think we should talk more about the other half of that coin uh birthright ship <laughs> you know birthright anything okay um since we i think we've well and done beat the citizenship part um my issue with citizenship with a birthright anything is uh primarily has to do with i think my my current working philosophy on children and that that is that they are property (laughs) um i think if you view children as property property does not have rights right intrinsically at all they cannot hold them only people can hold rights um and so ascribing anything to property is fallacious and a waste of time you're you're trying to target something that is not a valid target um granted i i will acknowledge that my philosophy on children probably isn't the same as the majority of people's um well and i think that there are i think there are still issues with that as well okay um you know we there are certain circumstances in which we would like to intervene and disrupt the relationship between a parent and a child yes why why i mean i know why because our 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 ape slash well no yeah it's our mammal brain cannot fundamentally distinguish for the sake of protection our child from another child in that way you know like we we care i don't know if that's necessarily why that that may be why for some people okay i mean empathy is one other reason yeah well one one does not want to be the abused child and so we want to intervene when we see that happening sure i i I can understand that i get it but i can i can think that it's wrong that you're doing anything that doesn't give me the right to intervene I could think that it's wrong for someone to smoke heroin or uh, shoot heroin, but that doesn't. Sure, yes, but that doesn't have a victim. Yeah, it does. That person, they're victimizing themselves. Mm, That's objective. It's true. Exactly. That's my point. You know. Um. But still, we we can we can make objective cases for whether a child is being harmed. Okay. But the the solution to that in terms of property is it's property so it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. It's just 
not your responsibility. It's you don't have a right to intervene. I can abuse. You can see that I'm abusing my dog. Should be terrible. I would never do that. I don't even have a dog, so I can't. But a lot of people would say that's just as bad. But we don't feel that way about that. You know, it's the same way. You know, you you'd have to view it the same way. I think. I think I think that there is some sort of limbo place between property and not property in which these things exist. I I totally agree with you. I'm I'm just saying I'm I totally agree. I totally agree. Um I just think there are less problems if you start from the property side and work your way back towards people than if you start at the people side and work your way back towards property. Well, you are you are well, what do you mean work toward? Okay. Um, when you're classifying anything, uh, generally what you do is you take something that it's similar to and apply that classification. Okay. I, I think exceptions. I see what you're saying. So it, I, I, I think I see what you're saying and I would agree with it if this is what you mean, which is if we say as a baseline, children are property and then we outline these exceptions. Yes. As opposed of, to children are people with these exceptions. Yes. That's that's where I'm at. I'm assuming the baseline property and I'm willing to negotiate exceptions there. And I would even, and, and I'm not willing, it's not that I'm unwilling to well, entertain. I mean, well, really, that's how we treat adults too. We don't treat them like property, but we say, you know, you can do whatever you want to somebody else. But with these exceptions. Right. Um, it's just we tend to have more exceptions for adults than we do for children. Right. Um, I think where it comes, where it's a little different is that I'm all, I'm applying a bunch of principles. I'm applying a bunch of uh, uh, characteristics that you would normally apply to property. I'm going to go ahead and apply them to children as a classification and then work my way towards the probably more true classification that children deserve. And that's... And I think we do that with anything. I just think it's easier because, I mean, we've already talked about it a little bit, but if you assume that a child's a person, then why can't I hold them legally responsible for anything? Why can't they sign contracts? And so those are two huge exceptions that, you know, those are two things, but the umbrella of those two things and all the things that they cover are massive, you know, whereas with property, I don't have to deal with those. I'm dealing mainly with treatment and right. upkeep. And that is much more objective. You can object. You can objectify you can is that the, is that the word I'm looking for there? That's probably not the word I'm looking to, for. To make objective is that what you yes, want? Yes, to make objective. Uh, I don't know of a simple word for that. Yeah, um, but it's a lot easier to take attributes that apply to property in an objective sense, uh, whereas with people you are almost always dealing subjectively. So, ergo, the child side of birthright anything. If we were to start. I think this is one of the areas in which if you were to treat them like property, it, it simplifies things a lot. And that it, this specific thing is, well, treat them like property. If they are property, you cannot apply things to them from the moment they're born. They're not people. They don't get rights. They don't get, but they also don't get responsibilities necessarily, but they are the, pro the ownership of their parent. They are, they are under the ownership of their parents which is how we tend to treat it most of the time anyway. You know, and even so far as what most people would consider to be allowable violence, I mean, some people think that, you know, corporal punishment on children is wrong, and it is objectively harmful. 
physically. Although most parents would make the case that when they, you know, spank their children, it may be temporarily, and in the short term, physically harmful, but in the long term, mentally, physically, they will make the case anyway. It's better because it teaches them discipline. Right, and a, an appeal to greater good. Yes. Um, even, you know, and you could even do the science on that that shows that maybe that's not the best I was going to say, yeah, that, that is that is questionable, but that's not the topic. Exactly. Um, but still, even if I don't agree with spanking your children, people still do it. And we're at the mercy of what ev- what the majority considers is acceptable. You know? Okay. What about... What about something like, uh, you seem to be taking a gripe right now with like automatic birthrights, but what about like a, a personally declared birthright, such as, um, let's say that I right now, uh, not having any children, declare that uh, if I were to die, all of my property is to be divided up in this way among my children. Okay, so I make this declaration. Then this stands, and I go on to have some children, and then something happens to me. Now, I've declared that they have a birthright. Yes, you have. Is there a problem with this? Yes. Especially with my system, I will acknowledge. Um, but I do think it can be handled. Um, well, for one thing, is you can dictate how your property is managed. I'm going to use a really somewhat ridiculous example of this, but people leave money to their animals, their pets. That's a that's a thing. That is a thing that people do. That is a thing that people do. And they don't actually leave it to their pets, though. That's the thing. They leave it in the hands of a third-party steward. And I think that, realistically, with children, it would be... This is probably one of the exceptions, though, you're going to bring out, is they are property-pending people. <laughs> um, and so you can... I guess... I. I could see it being used as like, okay, well, when you become a person or if you become a person, then you get this. You can set a criteria and if the criteria is met, X happens. And again, your children can choose to not accept, you know, most inheritances are not mandatory. (laughs) It's like, here you go. You and, and Most of them are right, positive. I, I can't go sign a document and burden you with my, you know, lifetime supply of bubblegum that you don't care about. Exactly. You know, uh, most of the time it's po- somewhat positive, so people don't look at it that way, but it could. For uh, One good example is people that have been left money that have left them devastated because inadvertently through, you know, all the pitfalls of taxes and all this other stuff, you know, um, people have been left come you know claims and rights to companies before and then something bad happens and then they find themselves on the end of a suit because they own majority stake you know um but i guess i don't know that i would 100 percent consider that birthright it is i think practically the same but i think that it would still have to go through a third-party mediary in which you can dictate a certain behavior you want that adult person the third party you want them to behave a certain way, um, and you can outline the details of that in a contract. And then, if they choose to accept, which they probably will, because you're paying them to literally just manage, just to have a bank account number that they turn over to someone else someday, you know. Um, and then they it becomes their choice, and then they cannot give them the money until they 
are able to claim it when they become people and then when they become people what what if i want to be irresponsible though and give my and i'll say that the terms of my birthright declaration is that all my possessions are to be sold at whatever value can they can be sold for and then distribute up the value monetarily to all my children evenly regardless of what age they are and whether they are citizens okay. or whatever um okay uh what if okay how would that play out if you said the same thing about your three dogs say you had three dogs instead how would that play out like what does it mean to give it to them you know i think most people say like you just kind of set it there next to them there go i think you you grant to them the authority over how it is used okay you allow them to own it as property now the, the issue with dogs owning money is that they do they, they literally do not have the physical capabilities necessary to make a decision about how that money is used aside from if you give them the physical bills then they can move them around how they see fit same thing i think that you treat it the exact same way either that or it would become unclaimed at that point because you well basically i'm 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 using this as an example to add you you said you have you have issues with the concept of birthrights to begin with so now i'm presenting this scenario and saying is this a problem do you have an issue with this type of birthright? Do I have an issue with it? I mean, I still do, but for the same reason. Well, I, I do, but at this point, my reasons for having a problem with it are just being logically consistent and principled. Like, you know, I don't like it because it does not fall in line with the principle I laid out earlier. And if I were to, but I also don't have a, okay, let me put it this way. I don't have a problem with it, but I also don't have a problem maintaining my principle from before when it comes to this uh comparing inheritance to citizenship both as birthrights so it's one of those cases where in the negative citizenship i have a problem with it the comp you know to be compromising to be principally consistent i would say okay you're trying to give something to someone you're trying to give something to something that's not a person it's the same to me as just leaving it on the ground somewhere it can it's free to be claimed by someone else and i think that like for example let's work this through and and how it would likely play out let's say you have two children that are adults and have been recognized as people and can claim things and then one that is say let's shoot them around 12 years old to make it interesting you could argue that that's old enough to be an adult. Some people would say that's not. Um, but let's just say they have not become people yet, just for the sake of argument. Okay. So you say, I'm going to divvy this all up. Let's just say all your stuff's worth $90,000, so $30,000 to each. Well, the two that are adults get $30,000. The other one, um, the, the, the last $30,000 is like, well... Well, actually, it would be divvied up differently. It would be you have two children until the third one becomes old enough. So your two children each get 50 or 45. That's how it would work out, actually. I think in that system. Because you said... I think I think this is one of those cases where, where I think there should be an exception to the, the whole children or property thing. Because, because I think that there are certain circumstances in which children can own property. This being one of them. Especially if they are, say, 12, which is definitely old enough to understand how to 
use money, even if they don't know how to use it responsibly. Right. I, and I would agree in the 12-year-old's case. I think that a person who's 12 could absolutely claim adulthood. I mean, a six-year-old can figure out how to use money. It's not about... They might not use it responsibly, but they can use it. Well, see, that's my thing, is it's not about ability. It is about ability, but if that's the case, then six-year-olds should become adults. You know? I, I don't know. So now we're back to children or people. Well, no. Or at least very young children or people. I, that's the thing. That's where I'm getting at is I think the real question kind of becomes how old do you have to be to become a person or what does it even mean to become a person in right. that case? You know, and, and it just kind of goes down that route again. Um, but surely the ability to be considered a person should not be tied to do you I, know how to spend money? No, I don't think it should be tied to that. That's just the example we gave. I don't sure. think it should be tied to can you spend money? I don't think it should be tied to I don't think it should be tied to necessarily. I mean, well, because I mean, okay, like let's consider this. Let's say we have uh, uh, an infant who you know is barely old enough to interact with others, and it is in possession of a toy of some sort, um, hold, holding a rattle or something like that, and. Now, so in, in this in this case, I think under under your system, this infant would be the property of its parents, and so it does not technically own the rattle, um, even though it is in possession of it. Sure. Um, it's like a ball toy. It's like a dog's so ball toy. In the now, dog. let's toss the infant into limbo and say that both of its parents spontaneously die for whatever reason. Poof. Okay. Now. Is it wrong for me to snatch the rattle out of the baby's hands? No, because the moment they died, uh, it depends on how they left their property to people, because that's still theirs. Okay, actually, let's let's make this more severe. Is it is it acceptable for me to now, without consulting anybody else, claim this child as my property because it is unclaimed? If it's unclaimed, th- go ahead. When do we determine that is unclaimed? You just said this unclaimed child. Sure. Therefore, you suppose, can... suppose I'm I'm the only witness there in the room, and I watch the the parents spontaneously vanish. Okay, and if now for some reason I've concluded they're dead. Okay. Um. Is the child unclaimed at this point? I guess that depends on how you define things that are claimed and unclaimed. Right. Yeah, that's where it would go to, and that that outcome would determine what would happen to the child. I mean, I know some people pretty much use the dibs way of claiming things, as I saw it first. Uh, some people would say it's if you if you're able to cultivate it, which in that case it's like, are you able to raise the child? Then yes, it could be yours. Um, you also are not obligated to take the child as well. That's 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 the the two sides of that coin. Is it just depends on how what you think about any other kind of abandoned property would have to apply with children. And I yeah. yeah. All right, so. With that being said, we've sort of beaten the horses, the two horses we have. Yes, so I will ask one one more question, which is, given that, um, given the acknowledgments you have made with regard to statelessness mm-hmm. in our current situation, and also with the problem of having the citizen versus non-citizen class, even without the problems of statelessness, in our current situation, do you think that maintaining birthright citizenship is a good idea? 
That's a long question. Uh, let me make sure I answer it correctly or answer it completely. So essentially, you, what do you think we should change the law right now to remove birthright citizenship? It depends. It depends almost entirely on what uh, if if we continue to treat non-citizens the way we do well no it doesn't it doesn't depend on anything right yes we should abolish it abolish it absolutely i i I actually would as long as we move to a system no no i i'm I'm actually okay with 100 percent getting rid of it the best case scenario is all the citizens die and the government ceases to exist when the generation runs out that's yeah yeah i'm okay with getting rid of getting rid of it entirely yeah all right, well, that's that's been that interesting. Yeah, well, to be honest, since we got a little bit of time left, what I was going to say is it depends on, well, okay, well, how does the state take on new citizens then? Because right. the... Obviously, it's going to want to. Well, it, well yeah, it'll cease to exist if it doesn't. Yes. Like, and that's the hard answer to it doesn't. It ceases to exist eventually when the last citizen dies, even though they will die an emperor, essentially. The system down from that is only... It gets to choose its citizens, and in which that case, that's how you get essentially tyranny, because or inherited tyranny, which is eventually, you know, it, it'll, it'll, it's bad, you know. Um, if it moves to the middle ground, which I think is just making it a choice, which I think would be the most likely, um, and I could see it moving to a system, to moving to a system in which parents could. American citizens could essentially voucher citizenship to people with, they could give citizenship to their children if their children chose to accept it. But if you don't, essentially you can become a citizen if your parents were citizens. Let's put it that way, just to get rid of all the ambiguity. That's a choice. That's mm, 50-50. I'm okay with that because at least it's a choice. And then... uh, so on and so forth until it's like, well, we just make everyone a citizen, period, as soon as they become an adult. And that's the ultimate, you know, quickest way to just watch it all fall apart. Well, second quickest way. Maybe quickest way. I don't know. Depends. But yeah, I'm okay with it in every case. Really. You know? All right. Philosophers? <laughs> Philosophers. <laughs>